Father, Lord God, we worship you this morning. We thank you again for this opportunity of meeting here. We want to be reminded and we want to thank our Lord Jesus Christ who has made this way, who has made it possible for us to be here today, who has made it possible that we can meet in your name, who has made it possible that we, be, that we can be called your children. Lord, we pray that we do not take this for granted. We pray that it's near to our heart. We pray, Lord, that you open our eyes today and our hearts to see what that really means, especially in the light of eternity. Lord, we pray that you may speak to us, that your word may move our hearts, that you can move and, and shape us and conform us, especially in these times, Lord, where we need to discern the times we're living in, as the day is ever so approaching, where we will stand be you, stand before you face to face. Lord, we pray that you use your word this morning to move us. We pray for your presence here. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you may move our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I want to touch a little bit on why Christ came. And I know we, can, we could speak quite a few messages on that. We could uh, have huge discussions. But I want to focus in a little bit on one part of it that is, Brother Josh, Josh covered it in the opening, it's the darkness. And I know last week we talked about, or Brother John brought us a, a message on about Christ coming and preparing our hearts to receive Him. And even we, we touched on to condition and to prepare the soil of our heart so that when we have the opportunity to receive Him or to follow Him, we are able to flourish and grow under His Lordship. We were reminded that Christ is our only hope for eternal life. <clears throat> so today I want to focus more on the fact of our state without Christ or before Christ came. And I believe it's something that we are most likely taking for granted or maybe have even grown cold to it. And it does take some time to realize, especially if, um, if we're been walking with the Lord for a while, or if um, we, we have, are of the habit of not spending too much time with Him, or anything like that, uh, most likely we would have probably been desensitized to the fact and to the truth why Christ came, and what, that had, what kind of effect it has on our life. Or maybe where would we be without Christ in our life? We're sometimes so busy looking for huge workings or huge miracles that we forget to look at the miracle of what is happening right inside of, our, of us. The changing of our heart, the conforming that the Holy Spirit is doing, conforming us into the image of Christ. The fact is, without Christ, we are hopeless we are destined to a Christless eternity, which this is tragic. 
And I believe to even be careless with that fact and to be alert at all times is tragic. Because it is also the working, the working of our obedience that keeps us at that point. So hopefully we can agitate a little bit of a, of a hunger, of a, of a desire in all of us this morning. And uh, realizing where we're at and where we would be without Christ. So we are sitting here this morning. And except for the children, but most of us are falling into three categories. I'm kidding. It could be more, but I broadened it. So listen carefully, see which category you fall into. Number one is an unconverted, untouched heart that has not yet been softened by the love of God. So that is before the Holy Spirit has done any work in us. We have not submitted to his ruling. We have not submitted to his word. We've, we've, going our, we've gone our own way. Our heart is making all the decisions. And we have a term for it. It's called unconverted. It's not a heart that has been given over to the Lord. Or number two, we could be a person with a heart that is surrendered to Christ, that is humbled before God and seeks to follow him wherever he goes. The question such a person asks is an attempt to be more like Christ. A person like that knows his state and has repented, most likely multiple times, to have a pure walk with God. And usually out of that state, it's not perfection. It's not some kind of a false holiness, but a simply a heart that, is, that its desire is to follow Christ and is submitted to it. Yes, there will be feelings, but there's repentance and there's moving on. It's a clear sign that such a person is following Christ. He is being conformed. The Holy Spirit is shaping his character into his likeness. Okay, number three. A person that has let their guard down and has, has embraced or accepted sin back into their life. Now, I chose these words because most of the time a person walks into this state rather than falling as we are used to here, like we fall into sin. Usually it's something we embrace sin again. I'm not talking about slipping, standing up, and continuing to walk. I'm talking about gradually accepting sin into our lives and to the point where we're getting hard and we walk in that state. And this is very, very possible. And most likely there's people sitting here this morning that are in this state. And I feel we fall into one of these three categories. One is we've never, the, 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 the love of God has never penetrated our hearts. Number two, it did. And he's, he's molding and he's shaping with our failures, 
but he is doing his work in us. And number three, we've, we've grown cold and our hearts are hardened towards the love of God. Where do we fall in? Which category do we fall in this morning? We all have to be the judge of our state. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as he's ministering or convicting us. If we have a surrendered heart, it doesn't mean our character is perfected, but there is an obvious working in the process. And what I mean by obvious is those around us notice it. It's not a secret. A follower of Christ is noticeable. The love of God moving and shining forth in a man's heart will not go unnoticed. We are being conformed into the image of Christ and being conformed into the image of Christ, being even in the likeness of Christ, will not be a secret. So why did Christ come? Each of the three categories that we just went through needs Christ. Very simple. In order to, to get out or to survive, we need Christ. So let's look at the, the three categories here. Let's look at the first one. I have always found uh, uh, something very similar to that first state, which is a Christless state, to Genesis chapter 1. The Genesis account. And um, let's read it. Let's let's get into that. It's Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, I know this is an amazing creation story. But like I said, whenever I read it, I am reminded of our state without Christ. We were born into this world. We exist and we live and we breathe. But unless Christ has seriously intervened in our lives, we are as lost as a child or a baby left to himself. And it starts off at, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. We were created, but it goes on to say, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Take in the description of the earth there for just a moment. Without form, void, darkness. Can we just for a minute 
if we fall into the second category, can we just for a minute go back to our days without Christ? How often do we do that? How often do we do we go back to a time of pain, of lost, being lost, no direction, no hope, fear of eternity? John said in chapter 5, I write unto you that you may know that you have eternal life. Without Christ, there's no knowing. So if we're sitting here this morning and fall into the first category, I believe that very much describes your state. Without form, void, and darkness. When we accept Christ, He brings healing, purpose, life, love, and many other, other attributes that are of God that continuously shine forth. Other, other people are affected by it. And this is why Jesus spoke in Matthew 5 about being a city on a hill, being a light to shine forth Jesus and the work that he has done in us. Without that work, there's nothing there. And, and you can see that a lot of times when you look. When, when, when a person is obviously denying Christ, there, there's such a thing as battling with it. Um, there's such a thing as working out the things of God in your life and yet not coming to the point where you can nail it down. That's the working of God. And may we not push away the Spirit's convictions. But when a person is blatantly refusing and denying the love of God in their lives, you can look into their eyes and you can see the hollowness and the darkness. And so is our state. It's that of Genesis before the creation. Unless Christ has entered our life in the shaping us and conforming us into his likeness. We are like that, without form, void, and in darkness. Romans 8, 29, we can read, Paul wrote, For whom he did foreknow, he's talking about us, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. In Ephesians chapter 2, is another picture of what it looks like without Christ. You can go, it's good, it's a very good passage. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. He's talking to the Ephesians here, and we we can we can own these verses. He goes on to say, and you had he quickened. And hopefully we can look at it as the past. If it's not the past, then it's time to capitalize on Christ's coming. And you had a quicken who were dead in trespasses and, in, and sins, 
where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now work in the children of disobedience, of whom, among whom also ye all had your conversations in time past, that's all our conduct, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and were by children, by nature, the children of wrath, even as others. These verses are a reflection, are a reflection of our state, of our regenerated state. And if these things still work in us, then we probably fall into the first category or into the third. Because I can assure you, if we neglect Christ in our lives, we fall into that same hopeless state as before, if not worse. Christ came and he brings hope, he brings light. He's a lamp unto our feed. On, on Friday, we heard quite a few prophecies, which they're always a blessing. But one really came out to me, and I quoted it in there at the introduction. Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And here's the darkness and darkness again in verse 2. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. This is a picture of Christ coming into a world, into our life that is covered in darkness. He comes in and he brings the light. He shines his light. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. The, the Lord will rise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light. Just think about that for a moment. The, the privilege that God's people have, the privilege that all people have, can come to that light and to be beacons of that hope. God's love encompasses the whole world. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. So God from the beginning knew that he needed to provide a remedy for the salvation of mankind. From the very beginning, he knew that all of us sitting here would need to be redeemed from his wrath. Can you imagine that? All of us sitting here, he knew that we need to be redeemed from the wrath of God. And only by the sacrificing of a spotless and a sinless being or man 
could that ever be accomplished? So Jesus, out of love and obedience, came to this earth to do his Father's will, to be born and go through all the things we are going through, yet remain sinless. Took our place on Calvary, was crucified and resurrected so that we might have eternal life. Jesus said in 12, John 12, 46, I have come as a light into the world that whosoever believes in me should not, should not abide in darkness. So our creator God looked at the creation and saw the cold, formless state his world was in. And he brought order and light. As we can read in the, uh, the Genesis account. And when he was done, he said, what did he say? It's good. This is our creator, God. He looked at it and he said, it's good. So as a creation, he still sees our state. In his great love, he reaches out to us. He takes us. He redeems us. But if we kick and scream like an unruly child, it might take a little longer and might never happen. He redeems us and he shapes us. So let's look. Let's go back to creation for a minute again. I'm in first chapter again. So after he had created the heavens and the earth and, and put in order the land and the sea and everything therein, named everything, everything that we see came by the power of his word as he put it in place. And he created man. He created a beautiful garden for them to dwell. He visited in fellowship with Adam and Eve. It seems to me at regular basis. His creation was perfect and spotless and good. And in verse 31 of first, the first chapter then God looked over all that he made, and he saw that it was good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. A person where the redemptive power has taken place is a picture of God's creation. When he looked at his creation and said, it is good. God wants to look at us and say, it's good. He has given the perfect sacrifice. He has suffered. Isaiah 53, I think it's verse 12. He looked at the suffering, at the travail of his soul, the suffering of his soul, and, his, and, and it says he was satisfied. And he has given us the opportunity to walk under this umbrella. And when he looks at us, our, we, we, we have to ask this question, does he see us under that umbrella? In Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, to the Laodiceans, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, I will grant to sit with me in my throne, 
even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. So this is a picture of us if we open our hearts to Christ and are in fellowship with him. There is a fellowship. There is a knowing. There is a spending time. There is, there is starting to be dominion if we walk under the dominion of the Holy Spirit, of him. And now, continuing in Ephesians 4, chapter 2, verse 4. Remember, if, before that we read our previous state. Now it's coming to chapter four, to verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive altogether with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man, anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, this morning, if we've, God has done this work in us, saved us by grace, and we are His workmanship, can we challenge ourselves for one moment and, and ask ourselves, can God look at this creation right here, and say it's going. Can he get this satisfied feeling that he had after the creation? That feeling that he is doing his work, that we are walking under his dominion. Do, does he get this satisfied feeling when he looks at this creation? The creation and the beginning again, it was good until Lucifer intervened and deceived Adam and Eve into believing that they would be like God. Because a person who allows sin to enter into his life is again another story. Knowing the truth and abandoning it is probably the most serious condition that we can be in. And there's a few, few accounts in the Bible where we can take warnings out of. I seriously believe that once we've come to the knowledge of the truth, especially once we have commit, made commitments in our hearts, and we neglect these commitments, we are worse, much worse off than we were without ever making any commitments, ever knowing anything about Christ. There's a harness that enters a heart... That has, that has made a commitment for Christ and is neglecting it. There's just some callousness. It's like, uh, now I'm a school teacher, so I don't see callous very much. But when you go look at maybe at the carpenters and, and the guys working up in the shop, those that, were, that work without gloves, their hand is all full of callouses and they're tough. You shake hands with them, it looks like you're shaking hands with sandpaper. 
sometimes I wish for these hands, but somebody has to. <laughs> Got to keep all the jobs down. Huh? <laughs> and I feel sometimes this is how lives can get uh, tough and callous. The Holy Spirit knocks and we just shake it off. Ah, I heard that before. I heard you say this before, or I read this before here in the Word of God. This is really not tough, but it's a callous and a hardened heart. And when you look at it in the light of eternity, it's tragic. If you look at, 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 at it temporarily here, it's tragic. Because in the meantime, God cannot take a person and then use him for his glory. He, can, he cannot use that person. He cannot use him for, for things that need to be done. And walking in my Christian walk the last, you know, 20 years, I have seen that so many times. Where we totally waste away our time on frivolous Hardened hearts where God could have used us. He needed someone. There was no one there. So it's, it's a tragic from an eternal perspective and a temporal as now. It's tragic. <clears throat> what is from an eternal perspective there's accounts in the Word of God where the, where the grace of God only goes so and so far. <clears throat> you can remember the story of Josiah, 2 Kings chapter 23. And not that Josiah didn't receive the grace, but the nation didn't receive it. And after King Josiah had cleansed the land from idols and high places, reinstated the Passover, it says, I believe it says there that it was equivalent to the time of the judges. It is considered to be one of the biggest revivals in history. In, in 2 Kings 23-25, it gives us this account talking about Josiah. Now before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. Okay. You'd think anything like that we've seen in reading scripture, repentant hearts moved God and, and he extended his hand of mercy. I mean, if we can talk about one of the greatest revivals in history, the, the cleansing. You can read a whole chapter there. I think it's in chapter 23, how he cleansed the land. And in, um, in verse 26, it says, Nevertheless, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger was aroused against Judah because of all the provocations which Manasseh had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will also remove Judah from my side, as I have removed Israel. And will cast off this city, Jerusalem, which I have chosen, and the house of which I said, 
my name shall be there. It then persuade him. And we are sometimes of this mind that, you know what, it's, it's, I enjoy this lifestyle or I, I, I want to live like this or Christ is here, but I need to do this thing here first. How do we know that the grace of God will extend? Yes, we're used to hearing that love of God, the love of God, and, uh, and all you have to do is say the sinner's prayer and you should be good. But is it actually like that? Can we walk out of our situations and to have the grace, the power of God upon us? In Luke chapter 13, verses 23 to 25, someone asked Jesus, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. Strive. Not someday when you see that gate or when you see the opportunity, you know. Walk through it. He said, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. And he goes on to say this. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Listen, now listen to verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand, shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. We're... You are from. See, verse 25 is again an indication that Jesus was referring again of delaying the response to the callings of God. So playing with the grace of God is a dangerous place to be. When we hear the voice of God, then we have one obligation. Talking about eternal life. And that is to respond. So I want to look at the account of Adam. We're back in Genesis, chapter 3, Adam and Eve, to see how sin interests a person life. I always think that looking at that account gives us, if we walk with the Lord, there's a, there's a way that sin can enter into our life. And the enemy starts usually starts with a question that is designed to question God and cast doubt. In verse 1 of chapter 3, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Question. Doubt. Doubting the word of God. Doubting God. Has God indeed said, Do I really need to do that? Do I really need to obey this portion of Scripture because it's actually meant for the Corinthians or uh, the Galatians? I think this part of Scripture is cultural. We start to question the authority of God and the Word of God. Now, if you remember it from me, I usually I say that a person... It usually falls, again, categories into two categories when they question the Word of God. 
One person or one category is we question God in the words of authenticity or questioning it in a way that diminishes the responsibility of the believer to obey it. Like exactly like the serpent came to Eve. Diminishing the responsibility and the seriousness of obeying God's word. Once we start to, to read scripture and to even when, when the word is being spoken and I go down the path of, is it really important? Does God really mean this? And then I'm heading down this first category. And usually the end result is not good unless a person can catch himself, repent and turn around. The second category is questioning in a way that pursues holiness and more Christ-likeness in our life. To pursue Christ, to be more like Him. The question that Eve was approaching was with a question that created doubt on what God said. What God said. Such questions in turn create doubt to God really is. So is it, is it wrong to answer questions? No, but it's how we answer questions. If our desire is to be more Christ-like, we ask questions that bring us closer to Christ. We pursue Christ in such a way. We go into a quiet time and into studying the Word of God with questions. We feed our spirit man in quiet time with questions. So questions, is not, questions are not wrong. It's how we ask these questions. The woman said to the servant, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So she knew. She knew the truth. She knew the commandment. But, okay then, Satan cast the doubt, questioned doubt, then he comes with a lie, with a little bit of truth mixed into it. Verses 4 and 5. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. This is the lie. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. This is the truth. They could recognize God and they could recognize evil. Isn't that familiar? I see that so many times in Christianity. We go far and wide to get this one truth and yet destroying so much or embracing a lie to, to get this truth or something like that. God came to create a kingdom that desires our everything. It's whole. When the scripture talks about Christ, it said it was full of grace and truth. There was no partial truth. But then we have to fall in, in verses 6 and 7. So when the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it looks okay. After all, the serpent said it is. That it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. 
And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. That is a picture of us if we start down the path of questioning the authority of God and his word. And we'll end up in the snare of the enemy. And then pretty soon we find ourselves to be in the need of a savior once again, if we accept him. So I feel that one of the most <clears throat> crucial facts about life is realizing who we are from an internal mindset. It's the absence of this very fact that has destroyed many souls. Once we realize our state and recognize the grace of God is when we can find help. This is when we realize the love of God. It is in these times we start seeing why Christ came to earth. And it's because he loves us so that we need him. Paul knew who Christ is. In Romans chapter 7 verse 24, he said, O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christ still sees the depravity of man, knowing that when he'll come to his own, they will not receive him. He knew that when he came. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Yet through all this, this pressure, he still loved us, and out of obedience to his Father, whom he is one with, came, offered, and died in our stead. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is the love of Christ. There is a story of D.L. Moody. I guess we all know who D.L. Moody is. He was considered to be one of the greatest evangelists of all times. And uh, he had a Bible conference one time, actually a lot of times here in America. And uh, this one time many well-known pastors came from all over Europe. And they were given rooms in the dormitory of the Bible school as the custom in, as was the custom in Europe. The men put their shoes outside the door of their room, expecting them to be cleaned and polished by servants during the night. But of course, there were no servants in the American dorm, but as Moody was walking through the halls and praying for his guests, he saw the shoes and realized what had happened. Oops. He mentioned the problem to a few of his students, but none of them offered to help. Without word, another word, the great evangelist gathered up the shoes and took them back to his own room where he began to clean and polish each pair. So here's the man that they all came to hear, all came to listen to, and he saw a problem here. And I could have addressed it and said, but no, he humbled himself. And just as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of Heaven, had the right to honor, praise, and worship, yet 
to be our Savior, he laid all of his privileges aside and became a lowly servant. And we often hear people talk of living as Jesus lived. And while he truly is the model of us to follow, many who speak of following him are unwilling to give up their rights and reflect his humility. We will never be like Jesus unless we are humble and lowly. So in closing, Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 14, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he, grant, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the sense that it, what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So why did Christ come? For the Son of Man, Jesus said himself, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's life but to save them. So, if we have figured out by now which category we fall in, to the unconverted, Hebrews 3, 7, 8, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says to Dave, you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness. To the followers of Christ, therefore, brethren, 2 Peter 1, 10, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And to those who are neglecting Christ, Hebrews chapter 2, 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. How shall we escape? My prayer is this morning that we fall into the second category. To be followers of Christ and to just strengthen our walk and strengthen those around us. To make sure our call and election is right with God. If we fall into the first and the third category, may God give us grace and wisdom. To capitalize on the fact that Christ came and that he still extends his hand. And may we do it before it's too late. May we see and recognize his saving grace while it is still called today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are humbled before you of the love that you have demonstrated. The love that you demonstrated while we were yet sinners, while we were even born, you have extended your love towards us. Lord, we pray that we do not take that love for granted. We pray that we do not tremble it under our feet. 
But Lord, that we come to you, that you, the Lord Jesus, may receive glory and honor from our lives because you deserve it. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen.